What do you think about when you think of home? It's a place on board games like Trouble and Sorry. It's a button on a computer keyboard that may take you to the beginning of a line. It's a building, maybe, but it's more than that. It's a place where we're comfortable being who we are, being our sloppy selves or our quiet selves or our grumpy selves. Our church wants to be a home for people. Jesus, as Jack said, is at the Last Supper. He's preparing his disciples for his final departure when he tells them that he and his Father will come to those who follow his teachings and make their home together. Home. Some of us have been lucky enough to have several homes during our lives, while others have never felt like they've had a home. When Carmen was a girl and asked her parents what would happen if they died, They sought to comfort her by saying that they had arranged for her and her brother to go to the Baptist children's home in Salem. She didn't know that children really did find a home there, and so Carmen feared being an orphan for the rest of her childhood. No matter what our age, we may fear feeling like an orphan, as if we were alone in the world without the tangible love and support of parents. Now, many here have dealt with that reality for years. It's painful. It's difficult. Pastor Roberto Gomez said that when the second of his two parents died, he felt like an orphan. He wasn't scared, but he felt very lonely. And so, as in other difficult moments in his life, he turned to the Holy Scriptures, and he read this passage that he had preached from many times before, especially at funerals, in chapter 14 of John's Gospel. Jesus, as he seeks to prepare his disciples for leaving, he describes something that would comfort them. He tells them, he warns them in a way that that he's leaving, and that they will feel alone. They will feel orphaned, having lost their master and their Lord. Jesus is acutely aware of their, their pending experience of grief and loss and that sense of abandonment. And so Jesus offers them the assurance that God will not forget them and will continue to bless them by saying, the advocate... The Holy Spirit will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. One of the great promises from God to humans is that God will be with us. When God calls Abram and Sarai to go forth from their home, God tells them he will be with them. When God calls Jacob, the promise is repeated. God assures Moses that the divine will be with him as he confronts the Egyptian Pharaoh. 
And the Lord Jesus Christ then makes the same promise to his followers. God will not forget them or abandon them. God's Holy Spirit will come to advocate, to comfort, to enlighten, guide, inspire, and to keep them united as a faith community. God makes the same promise to us as we respond to Jesus Christ. Roberto Gomez said he felt greatly comforted as he read these words from John 14, and the sharp sense of feeling alone diminished. He felt peace in his heart, and he kept praying and reading these two verses over and over. The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, will teach you everything. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, do not let them be afraid. And Gomez says that as he prayed these over and over, prayed these actual verses, he experienced the Holy Spirit soothing his spirit. He said, it was more than a wonderful feeling. He said, I experienced the Holy Spirit flowing into my being like fresh, soothing water. Think about that again when we sing our closing hymn about peace like a river. And then Gomez remembered his family, his wife, and his two daughters. He remembered how much comfort and happiness they brought to him. He remembered his friends. He thought of one friend in particular who had had a powerful, transforming conversion experience. This guy had left a life of potential crime as a gang member. He had become a Christian. He had answered the call to pastoral ministry and become a fine pastor. And he always said that the clergy, the other clergy, had become his brothers and sisters. They had become his family. And slowly, Gomez, having felt like an orphan, realized that he was no longer an orphan. But rather, he was blessed by, first, the presence of the Holy Spirit in his life, And second, by belonging to the family of Christ. Perhaps you know some families in which it seems everyone has died except for one person. And whether that has been a a quick loss or a slow loss, some of these folks can tell us how the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, has come to them, and how they have sensed that Spirit's presence at a time when they were really, really hurting. It's a blessing of of the faith community, of the church that gathers, is that we have each other to share the burden of our grief when people die. We can love. We can sustain We can encourage, we can become family for each other. One other thing that Gomez said I really liked, he said, God moves through faith communities to love and touch people in need. God moves through faith communities to love and touch people in need. And so think about our community and think about the Roanoke area and think about 
how many people in Roanoke may feel like orphans. There are people who have left their families and moved to the area and are trying to find a new sense of home. There are recent graduates who have left their old homes and are trying to create a new one. The medical community around here is expanding consistently, and many of them, too, have left old homes and seek to find a new one. We pass them when we come to worship. They walk past the front of their, this building. Someone may be walking past right now who feels like an orphan. They live within walking distance of this church house. Making this a church home requires work on our part. We've painted, repainted, we've redecorated. But as we all know, paint and furnishings do not a home make. Early in the Revolutionary War, George Washington sent one of his officers to requisition horses from local landowners. And calling at an old country mansion, this officer was received by the elderly mistress of the house, and he began, Madam, I have come to claim your horses in the name of the government. On whose orders, she demanded sternly. And the officer said, on the orders of General George Washington, Commander-in-Chief of the American Army. And the old lady smiled. You may go back and tell General George Washington that his mother says he cannot have her horses. <laughs> Mothers have that prerogative with their children. But as a community of faith, we do not have that prerogative with the orphans beyond our doors. As long as we're holding on to our horses, or our time, or our building, or whatever assets we have, we are not keeping the commands of our Lord. Jesus sometimes calls us, often calls us, to sacrifice our comfort to make a place of comfort for others. Paradoxically, this is one way we experience the peace that Jesus gives. He said, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. The world wants to give us peace through an ever-increasing Dow Jones industrials average. The world wants to give us peace through physical comfort. The world wants to give us peace through a sense of control. Jesus, on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, helps us find peace even in the suffering and the sacrifice. Suffering and sacrifice raise our levels of anxiety, but to that Jesus says again and again, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. Lewis Mountbatten became a British military commander, but when he was five years old, he was reluctant to go to bed in the dark. And he said to his father confidentially, it isn't the dark. There are wolves up there. And his father smiled and said, 
as reassuringly as he could, there are no wolves in this house. And the rational little man said, I dare say there aren't, but I think there are. I think there are. There's a difference. You know, there's, it's hard sometimes to connect our, what we know in our brain with how we feel and the fears that we feel. As long as we think that wolves await us or fear that wolves await us, it will be difficult for us to step out of our pews and connect with the orphans around us and offer them a home. But when we move beyond our fears toward acting in faith regardless of them, then home and family begin to expand. I'm grateful to see glimpses of this happening in our congregation. It's not as hard as we may fear. It, it may seem overwhelming at first, but Levon Althaus tells the story about Tom who had a stroke and he went through an operation in which a heart valve was replaced. After he recovered, he described how he had survived. He said, as my wife got me into the car after my stroke and then down to the hospital, I was scared. After I got through the initial scare, I asked myself, what do I do now? And he says, well, I could do nothing. I wanted to pray, but I couldn't even remember the Lord's Prayer. All I could say was, Lord, hold my hand. I could hardly talk to anyone those first few days, during which at least 20 people came and just held my hand. As I look back, I feel that the Lord was in each person who held my hand, each person who reached out to me. My prayer was, Lord, hold my hand, and the Lord, through those people, held it. As we work together, we fear less. I was amazed by last week's story of the five college students who brought down the man who was allegedly attacking another woman. Working together, we overpower evil. Less than 200 years after Jesus' death, Tertullian wrote about Christians. He called his book The Apology, trying to explain to others what was going on with him and other Christians. He says, but it is mainly the deeds of a love so noble that lead many to put a brand upon us. See, they say, how they love one another, for themselves are animated by mutual hatred. See how they are ready even to die for one another, for they themselves will sooner put to death, will sooner kill. See how they love one another. At last week's church council retreat, we talked a little about Calvary's identity as a unique congregation and how we might help others know who we are. And I dare say the answer is in Tertullian's statement from 1,800 years ago. See how they love one another. See how we love others. Working together to keep the word of Christ to follow his commands, 
we begin to be identified as those who love. And so our challenge is to go and begin to show others how we love them because Jesus loves us all. Let's pray together. Holy God, we know love because you first loved us. Help us to see that love and help us to love others. For your sake and in the power of Jesus' name. Amen.